right, good morning, Rock Bible Church. And we here, uh, Bibles and Outlines out, we're going to be Matthew chapter 10. We're finishing our, uh, finishing the chapter today and continuing our series in the book of Matthew and uh, watching what Jesus has taught us and Matt wrote down so that we could keep a record of it. And uh, so far what's been going on is Jesus, uh, has, at the beginning of chapter 10, he's called his 12 disciples together and he's ready to send them out. And he's telling them where to go and what to say, uh, what to go with, what to not take with you. And, uh, and then he kind of gives them a warning and says, uh, it's not going to be all fun and roses. In fact, people are going to come after you. Uh, you're going you're gonna to suggest things that are counterculture, and uh, you're going to step on some religious toes, and, and there's a lot of people that won't like that. Uh, they came after me. How much more will they come after you? Uh, it's a lot easier to come after you than it is to come after me, uh, especially when I'm not around. And so uh, he's given them a warning about these people that are going to come after him. Verse 26 that we start with today is going to say, so don't. Don't fear them, them being the people that are uh, in opposition to you. Uh, don't worry. We don't have anybody that's anti-Christian uh, in our culture anymore. That was sarcasm. Welcome to Rock Bible Church. Um, but he's going to give them some ideas on how to handle yourself, how to carry yourself, and what's the good news in this if it's going to be difficult. And we're going to get into that in just a second. First, we're going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the break. Um, as we sang, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence and to help us think, uh, inspire us, maybe give us a little rest or comfort, but rejuvenate us and help us to be ready to go out those doors and back into a regular schedule, uh, but do it in a way that honors you. And so we thank you for this time, uh, for what your son taught, for what Matthew wrote down, and pray that your word would be a blessing to us this morning as we look at it. And so, Father, we ask for that in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Matthew says, chapter 10, verse 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. There's, there's your outside life, and there's your inside life. And Bryce was praying this morning about how uh, God can be involved in our in our inside and our outside, and it's a for some of us that's a little scary, you know. If your outside's different than your inside, your life uh, revealing that could be threatening. Uh, but there's another way to look at it. If God's uh, involved with your outside and your inside, it could be comforting that he knows all your thoughts and can come alongside you, help you, especially if you got fears or whatnot. Uh, and then he says this, he says, and by the way, don't worry, at some point, everything will be outside. Nothing hidden that will not be known. Um, we're going to shed light on everything. Uh, so he says, uh, don't worry, I know I'm leaving, I'm sending you out, it will be difficult, there will be rough roads, some people will come after you, don't worry, in the end, it's all going to shake out, it's all going to get smoothed out, solved, I'm going to take care of it in the end. 
And he says, what I tell you in the dark, verse 27, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So uh, we've erected a ladder outside. We're all going up on the roof. Is that really what he means? I want you to go spend your time on top of roofs, or is there an analogy here with the deeper meaning? And what's the deeper meaning? He's saying, look, I know it's going to be tough. You're my 12 disciples. It's time to go. I've told you and taught you and showed you and, and healed things and set examples. Now it's time for you to go make that known. Go talk about it. Get loud. Not obnoxious loud, not overwhelming loud, but get loud enough to be heard. It's time to make a difference, to let this be known. Um, and that's how you're going to run into opposition. And do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, who him, uh, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Welcome to Happy Sunday. Is that rough? Or is that good? If you're on the right side, don't you want to be connected with a guy who's in control of body and soul? If he's nice and he's good and you're trying, you're in good shape. And so he's trying to tell the guys, he's saying, you're in good shape already. We haven't played it out yet. We haven't seen how it's going to play out. Uh, There's lots more to see, but know that you're in good shape. Uh, Anybody feel that? You don't have to raise your hand. But it is a good rhetorical question. Like, what are you worried about? What do you want the end game to look like? What are you afraid the end game may look like? He says, look, you can conform to culture. You can conform to what other people are doing. But where's that going to lead you? Instead of that, conform to me. And I love and want to remind you of what was uh, said last week, chapter 10, I think it was verse 24, where he says, It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher. And he's trying to make that point to the disciples. Hey, you can worry about status or money or your job or what relationships you get to have or what opportunities you do or do not have, what car you drive, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But what is the enough that you're chasing? And let's compare that to what real enough looks like. If you, if you really got that job and if you made that much money and if you really did get that relationship and you did get that status and that accomplishment and win that game or whatever, would it really be enough? How about lose all those things and still experience true enough because how you experienced it, you were like the teacher, like Jesus, rather than conforming to the way everybody else pursues stuff. Win at all costs, push the competition down, and and don't worry about the dead bodies along the way. Uh, That's the kind of culture that we live in. I said, that's not not what I'm calling you to. And because you're going to stand for something different, and you're going to talk about me, you will face opposition. And it's going to be tough. Uh, And then watch this. In the midst of all this, he says it's going to be difficult and watch out, you know, who you're really afraid of. Uh, And then he's going to break into this um, self-image little section, little self-help 
section here, right? It says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? No. Is this because Jesus doesn't know how much two sparrows cost or he's making a Socratic question? It says, we all know you can buy two sparrows for a penny. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Now, uh, we know about sparrows and we know about pennies. What's being said now about the father? What's being implied? What have we learned about God? And we're probably maybe a tad above kindergarten level at this point. What's being said about God here? This is the interactive portion of the morning. He knows all. He values the least of us. More important than the sparrows. He's going to say that in a minute. But we also know he's paying attention to every detail, isn't he? Not a single bird drops to the ground that he's not aware of. Maybe he planned it. I mean, maybe it's part of provision. They, the food, the sparrow dropped their food on the ground, right? Uh, is God in control of every little detail? If, if a sparrow is worth half a penny and God cares about what happens to it, we know that he's a detail God. I have, a, I have a list of qualifications of the God that I want. I want him to be paying attention. Right? You know what my greatest fears? One of my greatest fears would be if, and this will never happen, so I'm not really afraid of it, but this could be a, a greatest fear for me, is if I, uh, not that I made a mistake or did something wrong, or it's that I, if I got myself in trouble and God missed it. He was busy. P- paying attention to something else. And uh, it slipped, slipped by. And I was therefore not on his radar, not important. How great it is that we have a God who's, who's paying attention to the minutest detail. Right? Ready for an example? But even the hairs, verse 30, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. What, what's the value of that? Like, like, what's the value of hair number 323? What's the value? Have you found a hairdresser? They could probably come up with some kind of answer. Well, you know, in unison with all the other hairs in the 300 section and the 200 section, they, you know, come together to form body and shape and blah, 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 blah. And you'd be like, yeah, whatever. I certainly would. What's the value of 323? Details. That God knows it. That it's detail. I heard this for the first time in middle school. And being a skeptical, competitive, male, public school boy, like, no, is it every hair on my head? And I started thinking about it for a while. A few days later, I'm walking to my buddy's house through Castor Valley. I'm in middle school. It's a long walk, and I'm going up this hill, and I got tired, sat down on this rock. And as I'm sitting on this rock, catching my breath, I'm thinking about this. God, you really know every, you know how many hairs on my head? All right, if you're real, you're really there, and you're in heaven, and you know this, here's the test. When I get to heaven, I want you to tell me how many hairs did I have on my head sitting on the rock on my way to Larry's house. I get a list of questions for God when I get to heaven. That's in the list. 
How many hairs did I have that day? It was a lot more than I have today. No. No. Thank you. Thank you. You are free of tithing for a year. (laughs) There you go. Um, is, Is he that detailed? I mean, beyond our value... Don't we want a God that's, that, that's paying that close attention? I mean, is he? Do you see evidence of it on this planet? Anybody paying attention that much? I don't know. I watch my kids. I'm not sure. I graduated an eighth grader on Thursday. I graduated to 12th grader on Friday. I'm a little worried about our future, folks. They're great kids. I love them. But they got a lot to learn. They're missing a lot of what's going on around them, aren't they? Uh, that's what makes me nervous because it says in the beginning of the book, he created us in his image, male and female. He created us in his image. I was like, wait, if we're in the image of God and my two kids are you know, missing stuff, is he missing stuff? Or they're still in process? Oh, darn, because if they're still in process, then there's a shot at I'm still in process, right? What do I need to process? What is the real truth of what's going on here? How much attention is God paying? To what level of detail is he aware? And here's what I love about this passage, because I was trying to watch, look through this passage all week and trying to figure out, like, what's the theme and what's going on. At the very beginning, what is it saying? It says, nothing hidden that will not be known, or nothing covered that won't be revealed. He goes into a discussion about what things are worth. And you see in the outline at the top of your page, it says Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 and following, and it says revealing worth. Jesus starts talking. He says, let me, let me show you some things you might not have seen and might not have known. And towards the end of the passage, today, he's going to start talking about worth. What's worthy and what's not? Fascinating to me that he cares this much that uh, therefore, verse 31, fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Wow. How many, how many sparrows is many? Let's, a lot? Okay. Thank you for not answering the question. All right. Let's, let's pick a number. Let's have fun. All right. Pick me a, an even number that you would say qualifies as many. 500. Good news, you're worth about 250. $2.50. Right? Two sparrows for a penny. Right? I think 12 is many. Am I worth six cents? That's kind of a question there. How much is my value? Because I would like that worth revealed. And he's starting to talk about it. He says, much more, right? Verse 32, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. What are we, start, what are we doing here? We're revealing. What are we revealing? Truth about how God, G, God and Jesus interact. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. What, what's he saying? says, hey, look, you want to be in a deal? Great, we'll be in a deal. Uh, You want to talk about me, whether it's on the housetop or not? You want to follow me? Great, we'll have a deal. If you don't have a deal, you don't want a deal, 
Good deal. I'll stand over here. A few minutes ago, I told you one of my greatest fears is if I had gotten myself in trouble and God wasn't paying attention. You know, it'd be even worse for me if I have a God who pays attention all the time to every minute detail and I get myself in trouble and I had made a deal with God where I asked him to stand over there. And he said, I will honor your wish. Have fun with that on your own. Wash my hands of it. Folks, you know, part of the reason I'm involved in church life and preaching and reading the Bible is because I got tired of being at church and having him tell me how much God loves me all the time and how gracious he is and I can be forgiven all my sins. I love all that stuff. But if it's unconditional all the time and doesn't matter what I do, I don't need to come to church. I can go do whatever I want. I started reading the Bible for myself, started figuring out, no, no, no. There's a system where it works and there's a system where it doesn't work. Does he love me all the time? Yes. Amen? Amen. Can he forgive me of every sin? Yes. Amen. But if I don't want, if I want, if I opt out, he'll let me. Hey, you don't want to talk about me in front of men? Great. I won't talk about you in front of my father. It's a mutual deal. We have a reciprocal relationship. Reciprocal. That's a big word, Scott. What does that mean? It means the same way you treat him is the same way he'll treat you. That's a weird way to look at it. It makes me nervous because I'm not very good. I mess things up. You know, God knows if you're faking. He also knows if you're real. Now, most of us know when we're real that we still mess it up. So the more important statement about God is he knows when you're faking and he knows when you're trying but still making mistakes. We need not be perfect ever. Amen? Perfect already happened and we get to tap into that. But God knows the difference between when you're trying to make a mistakes and when you're faking. He says, by the way, no matter if it's in hiding or covered or in the dark, it will be known. So do you want in or do you want out? Because I'm about to send you 12 out and it's going to get worse before it gets better. You heard that phrase? I was at the doctor a while back. I heard a doctor say it's going to get worse before it gets better. I want a second opinion. <laughs> Find me a new doctor. Right? Jesus is saying, look, it's not always going to go the way you want. And by the way, I did not, ha- I did not come to bring peace to the earth. What? I thought he was the Prince of Peace. Right? One of the Christian holidays. Don't we talk about the Prince of Peace? We do. Why is he not bringing peace then? Sometimes peace doesn't work. Sometimes it needs to get worse before it gets better. God, you know, God's not concerned about your peace. What, Scott? Are we, are we at church still? I thought he came that we might have life abundantly. Yes. You are to have the full life. If you're having the full life, how much is entailed in full? All? all both sides of the spectrum, from the good all the way to the bad? Why? 
It's part of life. It's how you learn. I remember I was sitting with the executive pastor, a fellowship Bible church in Little Rock, Arkansas, driving in his car on the way to lunch, just the two of us. And I was in one of those seasons of it's not all going well. And I said to him, Ken, I feel like you learn things better the hard way or the good way, the right way. Never forget what he said. He said, I only learn things the hard way. We only learn things the hard way. I've never learned anything the good way. That's how we learn. I felt much better. I'm normal. Trying and making a mistake rather than faking it. He says, this is the way it's going to go. But I didn't come for you to just have peace. I, I came for you to have some difficulties and work your way through it. Trust me. Rely on me. Talk about me. Engage with me. Reference me. Follow me. Obey me. If you want that deal, I'm going to talk to dad about it. If you don't want that deal, uh, good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. Actually, don't. I know how it's going to go. You ever thought about your relationship with the Lord that way? That it's conditional? Well, I thought he had unconditional love. Yes, he does. But there's certain things that work when you do them in his system, and there's certain things that don't work in his system because that's the way he designed it. And we're meant to follow. If peace is not on, on his agenda, then what is on his agenda? Ultimately, peace is on his agenda, by the way. We get to heaven, peace. In this life, though, you will have trouble. <coughs> right? James says we're going to encounter various trials. That's the way it goes. Uh, but I didn't come to have bring peace, but a sword. Well, that's awesome. Because that validates like half the movies that I like. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Ah, worthy. Who's worthy? He's revealing worth. Now, does this mean we're supposed to fight with our family? Say no. This is about 12 guys being sent out, and here's where you're to go. Here's what you're to do. Here's what you're to say. Don't bring this. Do bring that. And by the way, the message of faith in Christ will be controversial. It will be confrontational. It will be offensive. And some people in your own family won't like it. When that happens, side with me. If... Grandma or brother or dad or kid doesn't like Jesus, that's okay. They're on a learning curve. Let them have their learning curve. Trust that they'll come along later. But don't let it mess you up. Don't give up God to, to, to keep the family happy. Right? You ever met anybody who says, hey, family first? It's a great motto. It feels good. Who's the head of the family? Then I'm okay with it. If dad's the head of the family or mom's the head of the family and we say family first, my question is, wait, where's God? 
because now we got a conflict. Now, does that mean we're supposed to fight about anything? And no, no, no. You're supposed to love your family, get along with your family. In fact, Bible would imply in almost every other passage where family is talked about, you're supposed to get along with your family, do everything you can, sacrifice for them, be merciful, forgiving, all that. But when it comes to faith in Christ, Christ says, "I'm first. Let me reveal to you the worth of God when it comes to family." You set him first. That's how we start to get the system to work. That's what he's. That's what he's meaning. He's not saying you're supposed to just because you have a daughter, you're supposed to fight with her. Although it feels like that sometimes. It's not. It's not how it works. Okay. Um, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Wow, this just keeps getting better. Do, do we need to explain the, the purpose of the cross? I mean, we know what that was used for, to- torture and, and bleeding and suffering for a long period of time and eventually death. Um, is, is that what Jesus means when he says, hey, I got a cross for you? No, each individual person has a his cross. Uh, no crown of thorns for you, sorry. Um, no whipping and beating and bleeding and all that kind of stuff. No uh, carrying of the cross up the hill. No death on it. But God does have difficult things he wants you to endure through, reference him in, trust him for, and endure through. Solve. Get to the end of. And figure it out. Is that, is that a is that a an exciting anticipation, or is that a dreaded misery? You no, know, I, I thought God's good, and I'm supposed to have a great time, and everything's supposed to be fun. Well, what about this? What about you walk through difficulty in a good way, like the teacher would, because you're a disciple. And you find the joy in it of making through the difficult and, and finding a good experience in it. I mean, sometimes things are work, right? Uh, silly sports soccer analogy because I'm that guy. I played college soccer. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. 90% of the time. Because at practice, what are you doing for two hours? Running. Then you run some more. And then you have you run even more. Back in those days, it was, in, it was just all conditioning. I'm running up and down the hills of Hayward. Up and down. We're running on the field. Running and running and running. It was miserable. Couldn't breathe sometimes. Feel like you're going to pass out. Blisters, tendon injuries, ankles, knees, the whole thing. And every once in a while, we'd have a game. <laughs> we're playing the game and we're just flying having a good old time can't can't just be like that all the time no got to do the work some somehow that's how god's economy works you see whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it if you're doing life the way you want to do it it's not going to work. You say, I want to set aside my 
plans, and I'm going to try and see what God would have me do. Uh, one, amazingly, they'll be very similar. Right? If you like soccer and you say, well, I'm going to give up my life, doesn't mean you have to give up soccer. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I tried it. I got Jesus and I got to keep soccer. Now, I kept soccer very differently than I had wanted to pursue it before. But it doesn't change you drastically. It changes you subtly in some ways and then drastically in other ways. Mostly what he's drastically changes is the interior, head and heart, what's going on there. But that's how you lose your life and start following him. How am I carry myself? The one who receives a prophet, or excuse me, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. There's a reward. What's that mean? The system works. Following God's way. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he's a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's what? All right. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Uh, that's why we serve cold water every Sunday in children's ministry. Is that what it means? No, what, what he's saying is, uh, as I reveal worth to you, I want you to honor it. Act like it. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. That's Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 42. Let's look at some fill-ins here. Um, if we're revealing worth, then let's look, let's look at a couple things that we re- reveal about God's worth, and then let's move on to the one that's most exciting to you, your worth. Okay? Uh, one, God's worth outranks your pursuits. Oh, no. If God's outranking my pursuits, then maybe I'm supposed to be more excited about the two statements about his worth than the three statements about my own. Several different times he says, look, if you're going to talk about me, then I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to tell you things. Are you going to, are you going to tell other people about it or not? You like your dad more than me? I really kind of think what it's saying is you like your dad's position on religion more than who I am for yourself. You want to pursue this? You want to pursue that? You can. But know that God will always outrank whatever your pursuits are. And, and outranking is kind of a rough way to say it. Because really when we start to understand God's pursuits... I mean understand them. I don't mean just obey them. Obeying is on the road to understanding, but when you get to a point where they start to make sense to you a little bit because you've tried them and experimented with them, you know what weird is, that happens is you, you start to appreciate them. They make sense. They become fulfilling. They might even bring you peace in the midst of turmoil oh, now maybe I get what Prince of Peace means. Peace is about my own state of mind and heart, not my setting.
interesting way to look at it. But the first one we need to make sure that we're clear of is, is God has pursuits above and beyond ours. Second one, acknowledging God's worth is rewarding. It's rewarding. Remember he said, uh, you know, if you treat, bless, a, bless a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. Bless a righteous man, you get a righteous man's reward. Hey, if you help one of these little ones with even a cup of water, by no means could you lose your reward. What's God's reward for you? Don't know. How do you find out? Go water to kids. Bless the righteous. Bless the prophets. Follow the system. Proclaim him amongst other people that he might proclaim you amongst, uh, around his father. You're going to start figuring it out. So there's a couple of things, a, little, a couple of things about reward. And he gives us two specific rewards. In, in the passage, it says uh, that God's worth gives life, right? When you sacrifice your own life for his, you're going to actually gain life. You're going you're gonna to actually know what it means to live. You know why the world is so confused and asks the question so often, you know, what's life all about? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? You know why they ask that question like crazy? They've got no idea. Who are the people that you've met in your life who have the, the most confidence about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, their goals in life? Their... I'd imagine that they love the Lord and they've got clarity through him because of that. It also says, by the way, uh, if you mention me before men, I will mention you before my father. You know what that reward is? That reward puts you in front of him, in front of the father. Jesus is going to put you in front of the Father. Not like priority-wise, but like in front of his attention. Front page. Front burner. I want to suggest that, not that that might be more valuable than life, but that it is. Jesus mentioning you before the Father is the key to life and everything beyond. There's a value there. There's a worth there that you could have revealed in your life as you experiment with your own relationship with the Lord. More valuable than life is proximity to God because he's the one that makes sense of life and and gets you to the point where you can enjoy it or endure it if it's difficult. And folks, that's crazy talk for most people out there. They don't get that at all. To be close enough with God to where things start making sense that no one else would make sense of. That's amazing. That's what we know about God's worth. Let's move on to your worth. Uh, One, you're worth more than a penny. Congratulations. Didn't he say that? Two Two sparrows sold for a penny and you're worth... More than many sparrows, right? She said $2.50. Are you worth more than a penny? Spiritually, are you acting like it? If you're trying to solve it on your own, if you're 
lacking prayer to him about things, you're viewing yourself as worth about a penny in his eyes. He says much more than. And many of us walk around as if, well, this is about all I am. We have more people depressed than ever before. We have more suicides than ever before. And we have developed a system in almost every industry and every season of life and every pursuit, even hobbies, to where ranking and status is gauged and graded and earned. That is not how God works. The fact that you're breathing is the ultimate statement about how much God values you. He brought you here. He created you. He designed you. This penny is a joke compared to your value. And yet most of us are running around worried about how life's going to turn out and is he really paying attention and what am I going to do next and I have to have this job and what if they don't like me and feel like a bunch of middle schoolers. Are, do you see yourself as worth it more, more than a penny? A lot more than a penny. How much more than a penny? How far beyond a penny is your value? Because he wants to reveal your worth to yourself. At the same time, you're worth more than a penny and a cold cup of water. Says so you treat a righteous man, you treat a prophet, or one of these little ones, if you gave them even a cup of cold water, you know what that means? It means you have immense value, much more than a penny, and you have more to offer than a cup of water. What, Scott? How do you get that? Why does it say even? If you offer to one of these little ones even a cup of water. I was studying this week, and I was like, even. Why does it keep saying, why does it say even? What? Even. Ah, because a cup of water is about the least you could offer. If it's about the least that you can offer, then guess what? You're value, more valuable than a penny and you have much more to offer than a cup of water. Implying, are you offering it? What are you doing with what God has given you to offer, to bless, to serve? Spiritually, are you thinking yourself as worth more than a wet penny? Some of you are kinesthetic learners. Get yourself a clear cup and some water and a penny. Some of you are visual learners. You need this sitting on the desk at work. Why? To stop when you're about to be a jerk. And look at the cup and go, oh, wait, I've got more to offer than a cup of water, and I'm going to offer it, and I'm worth more than a penny, and I should prove it. Some of you need this on the dash of your car, the way you drive. Some of you need this connected to your phone with the way you talk to people. Some of you need it in the uh, hallway on the way to your kid's room. Some of you need to set this in the bed in between you and your spouse carefully. You don't want to wet the bed. But it's this idea that we have so much more to offer than we are. Well, let's start acting like it. You see, you're worth more than a penny and a cup of water. Uh, 
fourthly, or thirdly, or secondly about you, uh, your cross is part of your worth. You realize this? Uh, is cross a burden? Is, is cross uh, like a boundary? Something you have to get through? It's an obstacle? I mean, we, we think di- of difficulties and we say, oh, you know, I could be blah, 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 if I wasn't da, 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 da. And if I only had, if I had just, if my daddy had. What if God gave you that cross as an actual blessing and it increases your worth? Yeah, but Jim, I could be way out there at my destination already if I hadn't had to deal with this. Let's think about this. Now what's the value? The destination. You ever gotten to a destination and been disappointed? Many times. I, I thought this would be fulfilling. I thought once I arrived, it was like there'd be this big fanfare and balloons and I get to walk across the stage and they call my name and I get to wear a tie and it would be wonderful. And you get there and it's kind of like, eh. I took the family, went, went across the country, minivan, suitcases, packed to the gill. We're seeing stuff. We went to the Grand Canyon. Amazing. I'm all excited and giddy and the whole thing. We're going to buy souvenirs and make a mess and we're going to be there all day. We pull up and there's this uh, store like 100 yards away, huge parking lot. And I'm just trying to find a parking space so that I can get over to the rim. I'm dragging my three kids, my wife with me. She's, she's dra- helping me drag the kids. We get up to the rim. We're standing on the rim. We look over. There it is in all its glory. You know what my kids said? What's for lunch? Cool picture, Dad. We're like, we're taking pictures and the whole thing standing like this. The whole time they're like, can we go over to that store where we park? They have sandwiches. I sometimes wonder if our spiritual life isn't like that. Like, when we get to heaven, it's not just that we arrive, but how do we get there? What was the journey along the way? I have a ton of questions for God when I get to heaven. I'm, I'm curious what their questions are for me at the pearly gates. I'm trying to walk in, and and instead of asking me, you know, Hey, what would you like? Would you like to, where'd you like to sit? Who do you want to meet for? Who, which question do you want to ask first? They, they said, hey, how was the flight? How'd you get here? Right? You see, I don't want to walk into heaven leaving skin on the, on the street. I'm just barely getting myself in there. Walking in there and people going, how'd he get here? Right? I mean, there still might be some people who say that. Right? <laughs> Let's be honest. I want to walk in, hands up, celebrating, excited. Not barely in, fully in. Glad you made it. It's about time. Rest, have peace. It's just not about the destination. So how do we carry ourselves along the journey? 
you know, you're going to have crosses along the way. It's going to be difficult. And you can decide how you want to look at them. It's opportunity, disguised blessing, veiled threat, <laughs> you know. How do you want to look at it? It's kind of like Star Wars movies. I have several friends who will remain nameless to protect the identity of the guilty. But you go to these Star Wars movies, it's like they've never seen a good one. Oh, it was the two this, or it was two that, or that character was this, or this character, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you knew they were going to do that. They should have done it differently, blah, 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 and on and on. I'm thinking to myself, wow, somebody needs a hug. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? I go to Star Wars movies. F folks, uh, honest to God, I've, I've never seen a bad Star Wars movie. I love them all. Because I, I went at like seven years old to the theater and saw the first one opening weekend with my parents and no one had ever seen anything like that before. That's what set the standard for me. I go to a Star Wars movie and it's like, hey, somebody created something, put their uh, imagination onto a film, and let's uh, just kind of enjoy it. No, I haven't seen Solo yet. But I know when I see it, I'm going to like it. Why? I choose to enjoy my crosses. You get me? Here's the funny thing. All those friends, you know what they go and do every time a Star Wars movie comes out? They go and watch it. You're going to go through your crosses no matter what. You get to decide how you look at them. Enjoy them. They're part of your worth. They help define you, refine you, and they help you interact with God. Amen? Uh, have you seen the view from the roof? Have you seen the review from the roof? It says, what you've heard in hiding, what you've heard in secret, what I've whispered to you, go on the housetops and proclaim it. Does it really mean get on the roof? No. But how have you promoted God? How have you talked about him? Who have you invited? Who are you praying for? And how many people, if I, if I sat across the table at a Pete's Coffee and said, hey, how was your interaction with so-and-so? They said, well, it was like I got a penny and a cup of water. What could you do to rectify that? Redeem it. What cross could you bear? What difficult thing could you take on? What, what could you pray for that's like out there? And you try it. And say, God, I want to see how you're in this. Let's go do it. How much have you asked for? How have you experienced your imminent worth? And are you aware of what more, far beyond a cup of water, you have to offer people and God? Those are the questions. This was the rah-rah speech for the 12 disciples. Get up, get going. It's going to be amazing. And it's going to hurt a little. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Amen? Amen. I can't tell you any of the answers for these five things for the, how they play out in your individual life. What I can tell you 
is they are God's honest truth of what his plan is, what he's capable of, and how he wants to involve you. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, which I should be doing a Star Wars quote now instead of Mission Impossible, but if you want to feel the force deep inside you, how about that? Uh, Start talking to God. What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to interact with? Who are these little ones for me? Who are the prophets for me? Who are the righteous for me that I could be a blessing to and I could reward? Amen? Father, thank you for your word and for your son, for his example, for his teaching. And forgive us for our doubts. The little we think of ourselves, maybe even less that we offer. And I pray, Lord, that you would inspire us to think bigger, think more of you, think more of ourselves, and think more of what we could accomplish and do. And then, Lord, get us moving. Get us up and get us out there. We thank you, Lord, for the offering that we're about to receive. And pray that you would use it to help us as a church continue to reveal your worth and your truth. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.